Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Boozy Bracketology, the podcast that believes in three things, strong drinks, strong opinions, and crowning champions. And we're not doing one of those things tonight. We've got some strong opinions. God knows we got some strong drinks. But we are really just spending the night arguing our way in to see which one of these movies or which of these movies are going to make it into the main game as we try to determine the best 80s movie of all time. So tonight we are going through three different uh, sessions of play-in games. We're going to do four out of the kids and young adult version of the bracket. We're going to do one out of our crime and legal procedural region of the bracket. And then we're going to do four from the drama and prestige portion of the bracket. And let's go ahead and meet the panelists that are going through this uh, for all but one of the picks. Mike will be a panelist. Mike, my friend, how you doing? What are you drinking? Chris, I am doing wonderful. I'm super excited to be part of this. I finally get to share some opinions here uh, about some 80s movies. In the previous one, I didn't have a whole lot of opinions. I've got some this time, so I'm uh, excited to be a part of this. Tonight, I am featuring a beer from uh, a brewery out of Opelika, Alabama. Uh, It's the Red Clay Brewing Company. You know, I like to support local. I like to feature local on the podcast. Uh, in case any fellow Alabamans are listening, this is uh, 7.8% alcohol by volume. So it's a decently strong beer. It's a brown ale and it is called the Southern Bumpkin. It's a sweet potato brown ale. I think I featured this on the podcast before. Let's pop it open here. This is a very, this is a very good brown ale. Chris, I think uh, there were a couple of these in the mix pack that I gave you uh, when we met up in Nashville earlier, uh, actually last month now, but. Uh, this is a good. This is a good beer. I really, uh, I can't wait to try it. Um, everything you gave me from Nashville is still sitting in the fridge downstairs. I haven't even cracked one of those, and I thought about grabbing one of those Jif-looking peanut butter porters. And <laughs> when it's ninety degrees outside, I'm just not in the mood for a peanut butter porter. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I've been, I've been roaring through the the ones that you gave me, the especially the crooked thumb ones, because uh, they're all stouts and porters, and I'm like, uh, I need to get through these before it gets too warm. I can feel that. I really can. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's keep this going out to Fort Worth, Texas. Steven, my friend, how you doing? What are you drinking? Well, I'm doing well this evening. Today, I'm featuring a beverage uh, that's partially concentrated orange juice, uh, some potassium benzenate, uh, some citrus pectin, some aspartame, a couple of natural flavors. This is bottled by the PepsiCo Brewing Company of somewhere in the fucking United States. It doesn't say on the can. <laughs> smooth, smooth Mountain Dew. That was a quick. That was a pretty quick, explicit tag. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Might be a record. We're gonna head on out to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Brandon, my friend, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing well, guys. Long day at work, but I'm doing great. I'm drinking. So I have this uh, Hell's Golden Lager Sly Fox Brewing Company. Uh, 4.9. It's a Bavarian-style Golden Lager. Ooh. Almost looks like a, go- a Goldilocks Tower. Let's see how this is. What the hell is a Goldilocks Tower? <laughs> Almost looks like a tower that Goldilocks would come out of. What are you thinking hair? of Rapunzel? You mean Rapunzel? Rapunzel! <laughs> oh my god. That's I've been right. drinking. I've been drinking tonight. That was good. My, my youngest daughter, her favorite Disney princess is Rapunzel, so I think I was offended on her behalf. 
I got all children yet. I know you're good, man. Oh, and, that's all. No, I, should, I should know better. I'm 37 years old. I should know better. I'm sorry. <laughs> nothing. Nothing beats AJ's response behind you. Is she about died? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. She's okay. she's she's patting him on the back like they're there. They're there. It's okay. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all done stupid stuff in front of our oh, wives and girlfriends. We are moving on. We're going to kick right into this. Uh, Mike, you're starting us off here. We're going to start in our kids and young adult region of the bracket. We've got four play-in games, and the first one is a play-in three-way. The play-in three-way works like this. If there is two movies picked after the first two panelists go through, the movie that has zero votes is not allowed to be picked, Okay. and the third panelist must pick between the other two. So, Mike, you're kicking us off here in this three-way. Is it going to be batteries not included, short circuit, or Uncle Buck? This is a really interesting matchup for me. All of these movies are much more on the, the kid side than the young adult side, I think. But I think that it's it's a little bit of an unfortunate matchup for just for me personally because I've, I've kind of alluded to, I don't know how much I've discussed on the podcast before, but I was a military brat and I spent a decent chunk of the, a couple, uh, about a year or so in the mid eighties, a little over a year in Japan and both batteries, not included and short circuit happened to come out during that time. And I didn't really have access to them. So I didn't see them at the age that I think it would have been appropriate for me to see them. I saw them much later. So I don't have the nostalgia for them. What I do have nostalgia for is uncle buck. I, it's been it's been a hot minute since I've seen it, but I remember it just being simply delightful. John Candy is wonderful. Uh, everything he touched, I just felt like was was gold. I always enjoyed him in movies. Uncle Buck also is the reason, for better or worse, that we got Home Alone because the scene where Macaulay Culkin is in, interrogating Uncle Buck, John Hughes thought that was such a like, that was such a masterful performance for a young child actor that he's like, we need to build an entire movie around around this kid, and so he wrote Home Alone with him in mind. The other two movies are cute. They're a little more sci-fi. Uh, the, the effects really don't hold up very well. Uh, they're fine for for a kids movie because it's not really about the effects. But for me, I think this one's Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck's got a vote, Stephen. Um, seen all three of them. Like all three of them, basically. Um, this would be a more difficult task if this was Short Circuit Two, a film that I absolutely adore as opposed mm. to Short Circuit 1. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, all I had to say is, I don't think I want to know a six-year-old who isn't a dreamer or a silly heart, and I sure don't know want to know one who takes their student career seriously. I don't have a college degree, I don't have a job, but if I know a good kid when I see one, because they're all good kids until dried out, brain-dead skags like you, drag them down and convince them they're <laughs> no good. You so much as <laughs> scowl at my knees or any other kid in the school and I hear about it, I'll come looking for you. So take this quarter... Go downtown and have a rat gnaw that thing off your face. Good day to you, Adam. <laughs> Uncle Buck gets the vote. <laughs> Amen. Uncle Buck does get the vote. Brandon, Uncle Buck's moving on, but do we have a sweep? Um, so Short Circuit, great film. And uh, if you want to cry a little bit, Short Circuit, yeah, that'll maybe you'll shed a little tear. My fiance loves batteries are not included. She does. But for me, Sorry, AJ. Uh, me growing up, um, a movie, if it's still on to this day, if I see it on, 
Uncle, I, I don't even know why Uncle Buck is in the playing game. I'll put it there. I don't know why it's in the play. Uncle Buck is a fantastic, awesome, fun movie. John Candy crushes it. I would, he's, if my daughter had him for an uncle, I'd be so proud because I know nobody would fuck with him. He's <laughs> like a chainsaw yeah. out of his trunk yeah. and threaten you. There we go. <laughs> uncle Buck's moving on. Yeah, you don't fuck with Buck. <laughs> you don't fuck with Buck. Uncle Buck is moving on. The movie that gave us the start of Shawnee Smith's career. We owe it all to Uncle Buck. We're moving on. The next vote here, we're going to start this off with Steven. Steven, you get a tough one. Is it going to be the last Starfighter or the Clash of the Titans? Uh, Chris, why are you a big fucking liar? This isn't a tough one at all. Clash of the Titans is a long, slow-moving, boring movie. I was born in 1985. I remember when arcades were still a thing. And The Last Starfire is the fucking dream of every goddamn 10-year-old. And I was once a 10-year-old. That's why I did it. That's why I beat the bosses. That's why I wasted so many fucking quarters, much to my parents' dismay. That's why I would go to Chuck E. Cheese, even though the pizza was absolute ass. Because I saw The Last Starfighter once, and I wanted to be recruited for Intergalactic War. The Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter picks up a vote. Dave Maggie Smith disagrees. Well, let's see what Brandon has to say. It's it's pretty simple. I wanted to talk about it a little bit more, but uh, Last Starfighter, this is pretty easy. It's Last Starfighter. Yeah. Last Starfighter's moving on to the next round. Clash of the Titans, we barely knew ye. Let's see what Mike say. No, you know, this is, uh, I, I kind of am, am in agreement. I don't think this is a tough matchup, but I will say I have a, I have a little bit of nostalgia attached to both of these films. Um, clash, clash of the Titans. My weird nostalgia is that somehow in my head, I got this weird thing. My, my eldest daughter, Abby has this book of monster faces or something like that where you put you can put different eyes and nose and mouths on these monster heads and one of the monster heads was medusa and somehow one day i got it in my head you want to see a film clip about medusa and i showed her the film clip of medusa in clash of the titans and she was she was obsessed with it for about 15 minutes she wanted to watch it over and over again and then she got over it because it's not that great of a film it's it definitely it's a it's a little bit boring the effects very much do not hold up I don't know that the remake was any better. It got rid of the it got rid of the little golden owl, which I'm not even sure was an improvement or not. It, it's not. The Last Starfighter is a great movie. It's one that I have a lot of nostalgia for because I remember watching it with my dad, and it was just back then the effects were it was crazy. It was like one of the very first movies that held these computer generated effects and stuff like that. It yeah it, okay. Uh, I said Class of the Titans doesn't hold up. Last Starfighter effects-wise really doesn't hold up, but I think the story holds up much better. So, yeah, Last Starfighter, we got this one right. Move it into the main round. Last Starfighter is moving on. Uh, the one thing Clash of the Titans, the old one, the new one have in common is wasting a good cast. Ha! We are moving on. The next pick, we're going to start with, uh, let's start with Brandon on this one. Adventures in Babysitting or Harry and the Hendersons? So, this, it's, I, I know what I want, but I have to give respect to the other one. 
Harry and the Hendersons, I do remember watching it a lot when I was a child. And uh, John Lithgow, great. And you fall in love. Like, it really makes you want to have Bigfoot in your home with your family. You really do. I mean, he's great. Uh, it, it has those touching scenes. But in our last recording, I did talk about films that have numerous scenes in films that you remember. <clears throat> the beginning, he's like, oh, I can't hang out. And she goes there. And then Brenda calls. She's like, oh, I'll go. The kids are like, and then the creepy friend comes over. And then you meet the tow truck driver. So much in the blues scene when they're singing together. Oh my God. This is another film. I don't know why it's a playing game. Adventures and Babysitting deserves to be on this list. It's a Cinderella. It's making a run the whole way. Adventures and Babysitting. And also, I have to give a shout out Cocktail. I did bring it up too. Um, oh my God, I'm forgetting her name. Our Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue. She I was going to be brought up, trust me. I love, I love Elizabeth Shue. I love her in Cocktail. I love her in Ventures and Babysitting. Adventures and Babysitting, definitely moving on. Adventures and Babysitting has got its first vote. Cocktail is a god-awful movie. We're moving on. <laughs> no, it is not. It is a god-awful movie. That movie is hot trash on toast. <laughs> That's okay. Ooh. Pretty and Pink's moving on, so it's fine. It is. That's true. Next pick here is going to Mike. It 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 is. And let let's let's not forget Elizabeth Shue's brilliant performance in Hamlet Two. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to Elizabeth Shue in a second. But first, very much like Brandon, I I do want to give a shout out to Harry and Hendersons. I mentioned uh, in a couple. I was going to say a couple recordings ago. Man. Uh, this is only. This is not that strong of a beer. Two two uh, matchups ago, I mentioned that uh, there was a period of time when I was not in the United States and so didn't necessarily have access to very many movies. But one of the ones that I do remember actually watching in Japan is Harry and the Hendersons. It's a great fit. Well, I don't know, I don't know if it's a great family film, but it's a good family film. It's it's heart it's heartwarming. Uh, you know, it tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, especially at the very end. It. It's nice. I I enjoy it a lot. I think it's one that you can still watch with the whole with the whole family. It's not, you know, it's it's still definitely got a little bit of an 80s thing going about it, but it's a good family film. But yeah, Ad Adventures in Babysitting is just more memorable. Brandon mentioned that, you know, the scenes that you remember and more than anything else, don't I fuck with the babysitter. That's right. Don't fuck with the babysitter. Exactly. And and Elizabeth Shue. I was at just the right age for Elizabeth Shue to just be Elizabeth Shue. It was, it was, it was really, really enjoyable to watch that around that age that I was when I saw that movie, which I was, I guess it was probably a couple of years. Cause I think it came out around probably around the same time. What was it 87 same time, but I didn't see it until probably early nineties. So I was right at that, that perfect age for this movie. It, it skews a little older than a lot of these other movies on this bracket. It's more, it more falls into the YA side of thing than the kid's side, but mm -hmm. It, it's great and it's still overall like yeah, it's got a couple little things obviously it gets its pg-13 rating for the f-bomb but 
it's still not like so far afield that you can't watch it with your, you know, older elementary school age kids. Like it's, it's a fun movie to watch. So I, I don't know if I'm going with Brandon. I don't know how far it's going to go in this bracket. I don't know how much of a Cinderella it's going to be, but adventures babysitting is getting my vote for this round and, and is going to be moving on. Adventures babysitting has got another vote. Steven, do we have another sweep? Yeah, we absolutely did. You know, when I lived in Chicago, every time I passed that stupid building with the sideways slant on it, I would have to point up to it and say, that's my dad's building. And everyone would look at me because they wouldn't get the goddamn <laughs> reference. But I knew the goddamn reference. <laughs> it's from Adventures in Babysitting. It's an amazing film. It, 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 you know, I don't know how that one didn't grab the zeitgeist. It is so great. And Elizabeth Shue is just fucking killing it. Not just because there's a son of role picture of her in it. Uh, yeah, this isn't even close. Harry and the Hendersons, great performance by Lithgow. No, don't get me wrong. He's acting his ass off when he's yeah. beating up that terrible, terrible outfit, let's call it. But no, Adventures <laughs> in Babysitting is a much better movie. No one gets out of here without singing the blues. <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting has got another sweep. That's our third sweep of the night. We're moving right along. I got a feeling this next one might not be as cut and dry. So we're going to start this one off. Oh, what do you know? With Mike. Mike, you're choosing between the great Muppet caper and Ernest goes to camp. I am. And it's honestly, it is not much of a choice here for me, even though I actually genuinely enjoy both of these movies uh, and both of them are very nostalgic for me. There, There's one clear winner here. But before I get to that, film i do want to give a brief shout out to Ernest goes to camp i think it's the best of the Ernest films personally uh, there are things about it that probably don't hold up very well it's been a while since i've seen it and i'm sure some of the depictions of native americans and stuff like that are probably going to be cringeworthy today but i'm gonna tell you right now it is it was very weird that there's a moment of pathos in that movie when uh jim varney gets the little musical number that resonated with me as a kid. And I still think about that song today. It was, it was a very interesting moment in an otherwise ridiculously silly movie. Um, and you know, the, the part where he's singing about, gee, I'm glad it's raining and stuff like that. I still remember that song. It was, this is one of these movies I taped off of, you know, television in the late eighties and watched repeatedly. It was just that movie. Uh, so, that, but honestly, that's the thing I remember most. There's a couple other silly jokes. Uh, and I remember, <laughs> Of, of all the silly jokes, the one I remember most is the two turtles going, I'm scared, Sarge. We're all scared, son. Like, that was funny shit. But this is Great Muppet Caper. The Great Muppet Caper is the, uh, can I say that? Uh, it's right there right there with the Muppet movie. They're both fantastic. We actually watched it, uh, this movie not that long ago with the girls. And I was, I've been struggling for forever to get, to try to get the girls into the Muppets. And this was the first time I showed them Muppets where Abby was like, we should watch that Muppet movie again sometime. It's so great. And I loved it as a kid. And honestly, I don't know if I loved it more as an adult, but it, it resonated in a different way as an adult because I got so many of the references that it was making even more so than I did when I was a kid. I feel like they were getting planted in my very young brain so that my very old brain now could, could get them. Like, like there's this whole scene with like the synchronized swimming thing and it's all this big, like thirties style movie. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. The jokes still land they're they're wonderful like the callbacks and everything it's great the 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 bear the whole idea about kermit and fozzy being twins it's it's all hysterical the great muppet caper is a wonderful film 
it absolutely deserves to be moving on. And it, it it's kind of, I'm kind of like, it shouldn't be in the play in game. Like Brandon's been saying about a couple of these, this should have yeah. already been in the main round. Great Muppet caper all the way. Sorry for rambling. Great Muppet caper has got a vote. Next pick goes to Steven. Of the earnest movies, I was much more a earnest scared stupid, to be fair. Um, I never really got into goes to camp. That one was kind of, I don't know. It was, too vanilla for me i went through like a little earnest phase i still watch earnest saves christmas sometimes um but frankly they just don't really hold up and the muppets despite the fact that they are very much a product of the 70s somehow remain timeless um so i've got to definitely if it was up to a rewatch great muppet caper is the one i'm putting on every time great muppet caper is going to be moving on brandon did we get this right yeah um Ernest, I, I, I was never a fan of Ernest, none of the films, but the one I do really remember a lot is Scared Straight. Um, Ernest Scared Straight would be a way no, different movie. No, uh, Scared, whatever it was. But uh, Jim Varney, Jim Varney, he really resonated with that character. He really did. And he you, you tell, like, I know we're going to eventually get into uh peewee herman and that's a whole number story <laughs> that will be gone soon but uh <laughs> barney you could tell that he cared about his character he actually did seem like a good guy he did um his character is weird as shit but he seemed like a <laughs> good guy but we have to have a jim henson film continue to move on and the Muppet Caper, it, it's the pick. It has to be. Yeah, definitely the Muppet Caper. Great Muppet Caper is moving on. And after the first uh, game here so far, after the first game, we had a lot of, you know, head-to-head, you know, <laughs> three-to-two type matchups. We just went th- uh, four for four with sweeps on this one. Yeah. We're moving on to our crime play-in game. This one's a little bit interesting because – we try. I tried when putting the bracket together to, to group as many like properties together. And when it comes to the crime proportion of the bracket, the one that we grouped together was going to be Lethal Weapon 1 versus Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> and so the only playing game from crime is going to be that. We're going to start this one off with Steven. So the only thing that recommends Lethal Weapon 2 is diplomatic community right <laughs> that's what everyone remembers it for that's what it's about um lethal weapon one it's it's just a better movie um mostly because it starts out with a character that says i'm getting too old for this shit and with every single movie that becomes more and more ridiculous and stupid um so just by degrees of getting too old for this shit lethal weapon one has to win <laughs> lethal up one picked up its first vote brandon over to you so the lethal weapon catalog series i i i don't mind the films i'm not gonna watch them all the time but i have to sit down and watch them i will and i'll enjoy them i'll have a good time i just don't ask me to watch them all the time danny glover he does a great job, and uh, 
We're not even getting the Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, it's Mel Gibson. Later on, that's when shit went off the, the edge. But you all, the thing I love about Lethal Weapon is your third main side character, Joe Pesci, does a great job as that crazy, like, at first he's like that middleman villain, but he's not. And they take him in, they, he becomes their friend. What gets me for Lethal Weapon 1, and I stick to it, is the villain. Gary Busey is a crazy guy. And we all know Gary Busey's out there. So, Gary Busey, Lethal Weapon 1. Lethal Weapon 1 has picked up its second vote. It's going to move on to the main bracket. Mike, did we get this right? I'm going to disagree with Steven a little bit. I think there's a few memorable moments of lethal weapon too. Uh, certainly I'm uh, that certainly Joe Pesci. And I'm pretty sure that's the one uh, Mel Gibson tackles the guy out of the window when it, in Joe Pesci's hotel room and they land, they land in the, in the swimming pool. Um, like he hooks up with the hot Dutch chick and she ends up getting drowned in the thing. Uh, the most memorable thing to me about lethal weapon two is that I saw it after the mighty ducks. So I was really confused as to why the super friendly hockey coach was all of a sudden running this like crime syndicate. And he's sitting here holding up his badge and going diplomatic immunity. It's the same guy. Like I was so confused, but yes, we got this one, right? Uh, lethal weapon two is fun. Uh, lethal weapon, the original. Oh, the one more thing, the 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 condom commercial in Lethal Weapon Two that was also hilarious, <laughs> where his daughter was it was her first acting role and it was a condom commercial that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> Lethal Weapon One is is overall the better film I think it's got uh, it's got more pathos it, it definitely it definitely has the memorable scene I mean your introduction to the Martin Riggs character is him and his walking around naked in his trailer and then putting a gun in his mouth for an excruciatingly long time which really establishes that character. Uh, I, I don't think that was the introductory scene, but it was one of the first ones you see. And and Steve is 100% right. He's too old for the shit in the first movie. By the fourth movie, he's really too old for that shit. Uh, the, the movie's got a increasingly diminishing returns. The first one hits all the right buttons. Yeah, Lethal Weapon. Uh, just a reminder, when Danny Glover says he's too old for this shit in Lethal Weapon 1... He's 41 years old. I know he's my age. Shut up. <laughs> and he did Predator that year, too. Or like Predator yeah. 2. I Predator 2, yeah. Year. Also, Mike yeah. just blew my mind. You're telling me that Hans was diplomatic immunity? Yep. Hans from the Mighty Ducks yep. was diplomatic immunity. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Did yep. not see that coming. Joss Ackland, right. look it up. <laughs> I, already, I did while you were going on oh, okay. diet. I looked it up. I, <laughs> We are moving right along. We are down to our drama and prestige category. We have got four play-in games here. Mm -hmm. And of the of, for those four play-in games, they are all three ways. So, again, if there are two votes, the first people, two people to vote vote for two different items. The third item is automatically disqualified, and the last person has to pick between those two. I'm going to kick this over to Mike because this is the one and only time on this recording I get to be a panelist. Mike, take us away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we, we were discussing this a little bit beforehand. We don't we don't reveal too much. We don't talk a whole lot about what we're going to vote and stuff like that. But uh, Chris was at, we were talking about the drama and prestige thing. And I was saying 
I feel really good about this, except that very first matchup, I've only seen The Last Emperor as part of my quest to see the Best Picture nominees. I haven't seen the other two. I didn't feel like I had a leg to stand on. Chris goes, ooh, let me do that one because I have things to say. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll take over hosting duties for that matchup. Uh, and I am. So uh, we will get to Chris in a minute. But I think uh, first we're going to be starting with Brandon, if I'm tracking correctly. So Brandon, Let's take start. us away. The 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 three way matchup in this case is the Last Emperor versus the Color Purple versus Heaven's Gate. Three way matchup. Chris, explain the rules <clears throat> on how the three way matchup is going to work. So Brandon, take us away. Um. So Heaven's Gate, I've briefly looked it over. Not really my type of film. Color Purple, I've seen. Great cast. Very. It's very, it's a very important film. It is. Now, a few years ago, the Oscars finally got it right, where they finally gave the best picture to a foreign film with Parasite. I think I'm almost positive that was, and. I don't know if Last Emperor was technically a foreign. I'm trying to remember. But Last Emperor, that film, something that's so, it's so tough. Color Purple, Last Emperor. For me, Last Emperor, there's something that it hits even more with Last Emperor. So I'm going to go Last Emperor over Color Purple. And The Last Emperor picks up its first vote. And now, Chris, it is your time to shine for the one time this evening as a panelist. Take it away. I love this because if there's <laughs> something that I absolutely love, like from older movies, I love Westerns. Hmm. I genuinely, they're so fun. Except for Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. Thank God. I was worried about that, where that was going. Oh. Heaven's Gate, that movie has been... Real, I'm not sure if you guys know this. There are five cuts of that movie that are out there because <laughs> they couldn't get it right. The, the the theatrical cut and the cut that usually gets seen is around two hours and 20 minutes long. That's the version I saw back in college. There is the second cut of that movie is three and a half hours long. If you've seen the two-hour, oh three-minute cut, can you imagine there's any chance in hell you're going to sit through a three-and-a-half-hour version of it? No. So this is uh, this is down to two. And this actually isn't hard for me because The Last Emperor, I remember seeing and I remember liking. Um, it's a phenomenal, a phenomenal story. <clears throat> Excuse me. The problem with The Last Emperor is... That same story is told on a podcast called History Daily. That same story is told very eloquently on that podcast. And that same story is told in about 20 minutes on that podcast. <laughs> and you get everything. Um, it's at, That story is, is fascinating. If you want to read into it, I highly recommend it. But I'm also going to go out there and say... One of these movies was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won zero Academy Awards. And that's a travesty. Mm -hmm. I'm giving my vote to a color purple. Yeah. Chris rectifying the Academy's mistake. And I, I reserved that color text because I had a feeling you were going to want to say it. I agree. I agree. It's a travesty. It really the, the, is. 
the color purple picks up a vote and pulls even with the last emperor. Uh, Heaven's Gate goes the way that it probably should. As I said, I haven't seen it, but my but my understanding is that one of the things that Heaven's Gate is most well known for is that the treatment of the horses is one of the reasons that uh, you now have to have uh, PETA involved with every single movie to make sure that animals are treated ethically. Uh, because no, I think that was a never-ending story. Never-ending story might have been too, but I'm I'm pretty sure Heaven's Gate at least was one that that was okay. very ran very much afoul of that. Anyway, I mean, Heaven's Gate 1997. All we think of is a ball. Well, guy that's and- that's also yeah. that is also true, and and hail Bop Comet and the whole thing like that. Yeah. So, but it, Heaven's Gate Heaven's Gate though is no longer in the conversation. It has been eliminated. It is down to two. It's the color purple versus the last emperor. And we're handing this one off to Steven to determine which one of these is going to be moving on into the main round. Uh, Famously, the director, Alfred Hitchcock, once said, drama is just life with the boring parts cut out. If Alfred Hitchcock had made a film about the last emperor of China... The film, The Last Emperor, would be all the shit he cut out and threw on the floor. Because it is <laughs> all the boring parts with almost none of the interesting parts left. It is long, it is vapid, and it has the biggest sin that you could have in any film. It has a completely passive main character. Everything hmm. that happens in that film happens to the character. He does nothing. He is put in charge, not because he does anything. He is deposed, not because he does anything. He is put up as a puppet state, not because he does anything. He is taken out of that puppet state, not because he does anything. Every single action that happens in what should be an incredibly interesting life happens in spite of him. A blank piece of toast with no butter upon it would have had the same amount of impact in that movie as its main character. (laughs) It is garbage. It is hateful. It is a waste of celluloid. Not only did I lose three hours watching it, but I'm pretty sure the back end of my life lost three hours too, which I will never retrieve. I hate the last <laughs> of it. I hate it so <laughs> much. The fact that you've made me think about it for this podcast means I now hate you all at least 12% more. Why 12%? Because it is a more interesting number than anything that occurs in the film, The Last Emperor. My vote will be going to The Color Purple. Okay. I respect that highly. And and before I hand this back over to Chris, here is where I suffer a host dilemma. Because that was fairly clearly a vote for The Color Purple, but... There's a, there's part of me that really wants to shift into dictator or emperor mode, if you will, for a second and make the last emperor move on just so Steven has to reconsider it again when we get to the main bracket. But unfortunately, we do still uh, live in a democracy, at least here on Boozy Bracketology. So I do not have that power. And as we said, justice for the color purple. It is moving on into the main round. We'll be talking about it more in subsequent episodes. And I'm going to hand this back over to Chris. All right. We are moving right along. Our next uh, three-way here is going to be The Last Temptation of the Christ, taking on the mission, taking on the big chill. This one's going to be interesting, and we're going to start it off with Mike. 
one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> um, if you mean good, then yes. Well, you've got two. It's just interesting because you've got two movies that are very much. Uh, I don't want to say focused on religion, but I mean, kind of focused on religion. They're very, they're, there's definitely a religious subtext in both of them. Not so, I don't know why I'm using the word subtext. They're, they're about religion. The last temptation of the Christ, obviously it's in the title. Uh, it's, you know, it's Scorsese. It's, you know, and it's very, uh, it's a very interesting take on the crucifixion. It, it doesn't, I don't know. It's it's an interesting film to me, but it's not a film that I feel compelled to revisit. Uh, the The mission is obviously about mi- missionaries. It's uh, I think they're 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 Jesuits. It's got and no, I remember it. I I don't remember a whole lot about it. The, I last saw it when I was at uh, I think seventeen or eighteen. I remember it had a, a a pretty violent finale. The Big Chill is primarily remembered because of its soundtrack, I think, because of its soundtrack and because of its cast, because of these three. Not that any of these three have don't have a, a good cast, but The Big Chill is just freaking stacked, right? Uh, and, I mean, it even – The Big Chill the, – the cast of The Big Chill is so stacked that it has Kevin Costner in it, and all you see is his hand because he plays a corpse. And all of his scenes were cut. That's how stacked The Big Chill is. Big Chill is primarily remembered for its soundtrack, though. I don't really think any of these movies are great. I don't have a strong inclination on this one, to be honest. I think that my immediate inclination is to go with The Last Temptation of the Christ just because I think it's a it, it showcases the most unique viewpoint. It's a very again, it's it's Scorsese, so that might be view that might be skewing me a little bit, but I just think that I think it's the most interesting of the three films. It's the one that there's the most to sink your teeth into and really go back and revisit all of these movies. I've only seen once. I wish I'd had some time to revisit them, but that's the one that resonates the most with me. And the one that I feel like I would want to go back and consider more and watch again and, and continue thinking about. So I'm going to give my vote to the last temptation of the Christ. Last temptation picks up its first vote. The next pick here goes to Steven. Yeah, this one isn't that hard for me. I'm not a huge fan of either The Mission or The Big Chill. Um, the Last Temptation of Christ could have potentially been yet another very, very boring Jesus movie. Um, because most uh, renditions of any of the Gospels are kind of what I call a paint-by-numbers movie. They they know what points they have to hit. They hit those points, they show us those things on screen, and then they move on without like ever really thinking about the text that they're dealing with or interacting with. So The Last Temptation of Christ, yes, it's based off of a book that's based off the Gospels, but at least it's thinking about the text and interacting with them and trying to draw new meaning out of it. So it's at least interesting and thought-provoking, even if it's a little, you know, it's a little weird in some points and I don't agree with everything in it. I'm at least entertained and engaged with it in a way I'm not with the other two films. So the last temptation of Christ gets my vote. And with that last temptation of the Christ is going to be moving on. Brandon, did we get this right? I, I'm not going to say we didn't get it right. I really thought, and say if we had five of us, I thought it was going to come down to, the last temptation and the big chill and 
I thought the Big Chill, out of the three, I think the Big Chill is the most popular. It's probably the more, Last Temptation is known. The Mission, I don't think it's that known, but the Big Chill is known because of the cast. Uh, the Big Chill, it's a tough movie, but it has those scenes. Uh, the Mission, Jeremy Irons, Robert De Niro. Good matchup right there. Last Temptation, it is, it is, it is good. But I think I have to go with what I really remember much, what I've seen. I'm going to go with the Big Chill to give it one vote. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, we're back on the same page here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the Big Chill gets a vote. Unfortunately, not enough. Last Temptation of the Christ is moving on. We've got two picks left this episode. Let's not belabor any points. We're moving right along. And I believe, Stephen, you're kicking us off here. Is it going to be Driving Miss Daisy, Terms of Endearment, or Out of Africa? Yes, these three movies are in the play-in game. <laughs> <clears throat> three movies are in the playing game so i'm assuming that you're pointing out the fact that none of these three movies really deserve a second watch so they shouldn't be in it at all um indeed i'm I'm sorry these are all just complete oscar bation movies they're made to be grand to be wonderful to wow us and none of them have a damn interesting thing to say about the subject that they're actually tackling good important subjects subjects worth tackling none of them are interesting at all um, of these, gun to my head, I guess I'd watch Driving Miss Daisy again. I mean, the the casual racism baked into that film's no fun, but you know, <laughs> it's at least something to look at, and maybe I'll get something out of it. I don't know. Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy picks up the most apathetic vote in boozy history. Brandon, we're over to you. I don't know if we go that far. Two of them I really don't care much. I mean, all three. I'm so-so. The one, of course, that I've seen most is Driving Miss Daisy. And the film that I think that's upset me most in history, not Driving Miss Daisy, but Gone with the Wind. I was going to say it a second ago. I watched Gone with the Wind. I hated that damn film. It's a terrible film. It's racist. It's horrible. And people are like, oh, it's one of the great. No, it's not one of the greatest films. That woman complains and complains and complains and complains. All movie. Terrible film. Driving Miss Daisy. It's an older woman complaining. And you do see his friendship come and go, come and go. And... The acting, it, it's right there. It, it really, really is. It is top-notch. They do a great job. Morgan Freeman, it was around the time with Glory and Driving Miss Daisy. And Dan Aykroyd playing his characters, too. Jessica Tandy, she did a great job. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see any. It's Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy has a second vote. Mike, did we get this one right? So, first of all, I feel compelled to point out that I'm not trying to criticize 
but Out of Africa really belongs in the next matchup so that we could get the Meryl Streep trifecta. Uh, I, I we'll, noticed that later on that that's on me. That's, that's okay. No, we'll get that because right because what we have is the best picture trifecta here. All of these three were best picture winners in the 80s. And to, Steve, to Steven's point, the, the this makes these very 80s prestige films because the 80s, at least from an Academy and an award-winning perspective, for the most part, they really weren't super interesting in amazingly challenging films or amazingly interesting films. If you look at the entire slate of 80s best picture winners, the, you know that right there. So as Steve, to Steven's point, yeah, exactly. Like none of these three are, are really super high on that list. Um, I am going to disagree slightly. I think driving Miss Daisy, driving Miss Daisy is, is for, for all of its, its flaws with the way it, you know, it treats racial issues and stuff like that. It's definitely a little whitewashed, but it, it's well-written. And the reason it's well-written is because it's, started as a stage play and the movie to me plays like a stage play. That's part of my issue with it. I don't, I don't have a, a, a strong feeling about it, but I just remember it had had that very feeling. It doesn't feel cinematic. Um, I guess of these three out of Africa feels the most cinematic, but it's also the most, the least memorable to me. Uh, I'm going to give my vote to terms of endearment, honestly, for one reason and one reason only. And that's Jack fucking Nicholson. I just think he is so memorable and interesting as like the player neighbor. It's, uh, you know, he's way too old to be doing, be, to be that way, but he just is. I think if memory serves, he was like a former astronaut or something like that. Like there was he something was about the astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was something about that character. I just, he he's entertaining and he's by far the most memorable aspect of any of these three films to me. So, um, I, I I would give my vote to Terms of Endearment for that reason. I think Brandon mentioned earlier about the the supporting cast sometimes can take take a movie over. That's kind of what happens here. Uh, but yeah, none none of these movies I think they don't feel like Best Picture winners. But honestly, the entire history of film is littered with things like that. So we can move on. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy is moving on, but Terms of Endearment doesn't go down without a fight. It picks up a mercy vote at the end. We're back or we're down to our last matchup of the evening. Brandon, you're kicking us off here. Are you going with the French lieutenant's woman, Steel Magnolias, or Sophie's Choice? <laughs> um, I mean, all three of these, they have that, like, little bit of that love, very... I'm not going to say romantic, but um, my fiance would crush me. She'd be crushed if I wouldn't go with one of her top three all-time favorite films. And I had never sat down and watched this film until a year ago. Of these Southern women going through their life. And you see a very young Julia Roberts, and she's giving the the Breakfast Club fist in the air right now. Dolly Parton, Julia Roberts, yeah. Uh for me, it has to be Steel Magnolias. Yeah, Steel Magnolias picks up a first vote. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and go over to Mike next. 
you know, th this is really a two-way matchup for me. The, Fr the French Lieutenant's Woman, I remember seeing. It doesn't stick out very much to me. From what I remember of it, I think that it probably would work extremely well as a book. I'm less convinced that it works as a movie. Uh, it's a, basically a two-way race here. This is between Steel Magnolias and Sophie's Choice to me. And I, I like both of those films. I think that they they feature some masterful performances. I think Sally Field is great in Steel Magnolias. Uh, there, there's a lot of great performances in Steel Magnolias. Sally Fields is the one that that stands out to me. I think just because you know she, it, in a way, it's a little bit more of the showier performance because she has to, you know, she's the one that gets to, you know, she has to deal with the death of her daughter and everything like that. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, and so, but all right, I'm going with Sophie's choice and. It almost feels unfair because I think that Steel Magnolias maybe oh, like wall to wall is the better film. And, and honestly, if I'm going to put on one of these two, it's going to be still Magnolias, but that's mostly because when I saw Sophie's choice, I wasn't a parent. And I don't think I can watch that scene again as a parent, the scene where you find out what her choice was. And I, I'm, I, there is, it's almost unfair in a way to reward the movie for the gut wrenchingness of that one scene. But I'm not a huge Meryl street fan to be completely honest, but I think that her performance in that is so great and so justifiably awarded as her first best actress Oscar, because the way that she plays it up until that moment, you know, she has a past it's, it's left very ambiguous up until that, that, you know, I don't know if it's a penultimate scene, but it's very close to the end when you find out the, the gut wrenching moment in her past and trying to move on from that. I don't know how, like I can see the way that she's playing that role in a way where it's trying to move on from something that's impossible to move on from and, and live a life. It's, it's such a powerful thing. It's a, of a very dark, uh, backstory and everything like that. It's these are though they're both difficult movies to watch. I think because of the, some of the things they deal with. I think that I think that Sophie's Choice though, it just it resonates with not resonates. That's not the right word. But that scene sticks with me more than any of the scenes in the others. Uh, even though I there's not a whole lot extra other in that movie that really sticks with me. It's just that one scene and it just sticks with me so much that I I feel like I have to give it to Sophie's Choice here. Sophie's Choice picks up a first vote. That means the French lieutenant's woman has been eliminated. Steven, the choice is yours. Steel Magnolias or Sophie's Choice? Well, God damn it. You've left me with a very hard decision picking between two beloved things that I can't live without. If only there was some metaphor that had permeated the culture for the type of decision <laughs> I am having to make right at this very moment. Damn it. Um, no, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of clear for me. Um, when I, I, I'm a person that prefers a movie that just doesn't have one big blast that makes it great. And, um, that's what Sophie's choice is. It has one big blast at the end that makes it absolutely great. There's a reason why it makes so many less, why it's penetrated the culture and become the metaphor for that kind of decision. But 
if I have to pick any random scene, close my eyes, you know, put it in a book, I'm going to get a much better chance of getting a good scene out of Steel Magnolias. Uh, there's much more chance, much higher chance of getting a Dolly Parton scene in Steel Magnolias. And you know what? <laughs> True. Dolly Parton, fantastic. Really in anything she's in. But in that movie, she's great. And Sally Field's great. And it, it, this is interesting that we ended up uh, at this point with three men to pick this one because it would be kind of interesting to see yeah. if this is a completely different vote if we were all vagina havers. But since we're not, <laughs> and I have the deciding vote, I'm going to go ahead and cast it for Steel Magnolias. And with that, Steel Magnolia is picked up its final its uh, vote to bring it into the actual game. Sophie's Choice, the front lieutenant's woman, are both eliminated. And if you're enjoying this, we have got, before we even get into the tournament, we have got another couple of nights of play-in games. So in the next couple of uh, episodes, you're going to hear two more rounds of play-in games to see which movies are going to make this gigantic... 200 and 256 seed tournament i believe Woo. so we're going to determine eventually what the best 80s movie ever made was and you got some doozies out there but we got to get through the playing games first we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode you've heard enough from us so if you want to check out our patreon or find us on discord or in our facebook group check the show notes it's all right there for our supporters out there the folks that give us money each and every month we thank you for your continued support for the Boozy Bracketology Podcast, I have been Chris. I have been Mike. I'm I've Brandon. Been... And I've been stepping on line. Sorry. We'll see you all next time. Have a good one. <laughs>